0: we mm-hmm. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 259 of X-Lapsed, where uh, I'm I'm rather uncomfortable right now. Um, If you've been following the show of late, you'll know that I've had my share of uh, dental misadventures, I guess. And uh, about a week ago, I had my second of three crowns put on. And, uh, well, last night, as I was brushing, uh, some bitch popped off. So I've got, like, a great big hole in the back of my... uh, Left side of my mouth, and every time I breathe in, it stings like a... Well, it stings really bad, is what I'm trying to say here. So it's very, very uncomfortable to talk. But, I mean, neither rain nor sleet nor popped-off crown will stop us from uh, discussing X-Force, I guess. So how about we get into it? This is X-Force, Volume 6, Number 23. Had a November 2021 cover date. Story's called The New Czar. And, uh, I mean, Czar, so we know we're dealing with Russians... Still, And, uh, of course, it's written by Benjamin Percy. Art by Martin Cocolo, Cocolo. Colors, Guru EFX, letters, VCs, Joe Caramagna, designs, Tom Muller, head of X for now is Hickman. Edit, Samaro, Basso, White, Cebulski, cover price, four bucks. This one went on sale September the 8th of 2021. Alrighty, so hopefully we're going to be getting, you know, back to, uh... Back to... I mean, Zeno's been here the whole time. We've had Russian threats the whole time. Hopefully this is coming to a head, so maybe... Maybe we can wrap this thing up and get to get to the next thing So we open in Siberia where Mikhail Rasputin is waiting for the arrival of a train From that train emerges that Xeno guy And let me see if I can get through this line here Because when I say peacock tattoo, it, uh, it really hurts my, my mouth um, Now, of course, this is the one with that peacock tattoo Which honestly, I can't remember if we've actually seen before Have we? I don't know Anyway, Xenoman is here to deliver some soldiers to Mikhail, and our man is not happy to see so few of them. But, Xenoman assures him that it's not a matter of quantity, but quality. He has the soldiers put on a demonstration over the course of the next several pages, wherein they kill a polar bear. Or an ice bear, if you rather, that's what Mikhail calls it. Now, as the dust settles, the Xeno army stands tall, only suffering one casualty. Or so Mikhail thinks. Now, you remember those Russian nesting dolls from a few issues back? Well, these are more of those. So, the one assumedly dead soldier, well, it, uh, you know, it sprang a tiny nester from itself, so it's still there. And they've all got some extra powers, like uh, rocket arms, kind of like a garrison cane, uh, but grosser. They also have surveillance eyeballs. And, you know, looking at this generic-looking crew... I feel like these are the sort of goofballs we would really be making fun of if Rob Liefeld created them. Um, I wonder how the internet is taking to them in current year. Uh, Though, I'm not really wondering enough to actually try and find out. Anyway, the whole point of this scene is to show us that uh, while Zeno and Rasputin don't exactly see eye to eye, or really trust one another, they do have a common enemy in Krakoa. Double-page spread of roll-call and cred, our characters include Sage, beast black tom the man with a peak why is the word peacock so hard to say with a with a crown missing man with a peacock tattoo mikhail rasputin and the pale girl Ugh. we shift over to beast's lab in Krakoa, where he's about to dissect one of those russian nesters that he'd held on to after that earlier attack a few issues ago now he was instructed at that time to incinerate all of them but Well, he couldn't help himself but to keep one for some clandestine study He also engages in several pages of wildly indulgent narration throughout this issue Which at times feels uh, more than a little bit meta And petulant Uh, He says that people tell him that they miss, quote, the old beast The, quote, fun beast Which I feel is almost definitely a knock against the fandom Uh, Either that or I'm, you know, far too sensitive and projecting a little bit Anyway, he makes an incision in the pinned nesting doll And from it springs an even smaller one Now it attempts to flee, but McCoy is able to catch it and squish it What he doesn't realize, however, is that from the squished one sprang an even smaller one And this one climbs into Hank's ear and like immediately goes on to the attack We got Hank grabbing his head and screaming as though he's in some intense pain Which I'm sure he is We shift back to the baddies Rasputin and Peacock Man meet up with the Pale Girl. Of course, we remember her from that opening arc of Wolverine that didn't quite land. Uh, there's also a dude named Cyber here, and that's Cyber with an S, not the adamantium-armed guy from Marvel Comics Presents, so we have another Cyber, I guess. Mikhail then uses his powers to trap the Peacock Man in a pocket dimension, and he just leaves him there to think. Now, it's worth noting, I'm not sure what year Mikhail thinks it is, but he really seems to... I mean, he's talking like the Soviet Union is still a thing. I don't know if this is just, like, shorthand for Russian. Like, if we were to go back in time to the, you know, early to mid-80s. I, I really don't know. I mean, I'm, like, expecting Yakov Schmirnov to stick his head in and say, like, what a country at some point. From here we go to an info page. And it's a leaked document from the Kremlin regarding M-Day. Of course, M-Day was, you know, no more mutants. You know, the mutants were down to 198. And, uh, well, there's a lot of words here. And I think the gist of this is that mutants are considered to be, quote, anti-establishment in Russia. Back to Beast. Now, he takes a blood sample from himself, which I th- guess tells him that there's a Russian nesting doll inside him? I, I, or maybe it just tells him that he's dying? Or I don't know. Whatever the case, he'd really prefer not to die, seeing as though he already did like three or four issues ago. Now the thing here is, he seems to be worried that with his next resurrection he might be restored to an earlier cerebro backup and also lose his morally dubious Crocoan edge. He says that this is a time that calls for a bastard, and right now he must be that bastard. And so he heads over to Sage to ask for some assistance. Well, I, I guess, as far as assistance is concerned, he basically just asks her to get a hold of Black Tom. Back to the baddies. Uh, We learn that Mikhail was somehow behind the delivery of the Shi'ar Logic Diamonds from the Hellfire Gala. Really? Okay. Uh, He also reveals here that he still has the Cerebro Sword. You remember the Cerebro Sword, right? That's the one that uh, was made out of the destroyed Cerebro helmet that uh, Professor Xavier was shot in. And uh, Magneto kind of just formed it into a sword, which I assumed was going to be part of the uh, X of Tens event. It was not. And, you know, a couple issues after that, we did see that uh, Wolverine saw that vat of adamantium, and he said he wanted Forge to make something out of that adamantium, which I assumed was going to be another sword that would be part of the X of Swords event, and that wasn't either. A lot of red herrings. I wonder if uh, plans changed, or if these were uh, intentional red herrings. In any event, we have not seen the Cerebro sword since, well, uh, boy, before the X of Swords event, right? I think Mikhail took it in the issue of X-Force right before the event kicked off, so that's like well over a hundred episodes ago That's a long, long time Anyway, he and the Pale Girl now talk about a lot of pretentious stuff uh, It's like Russia 101, basically And he leaves to begin, quote, writing his next chapter Speaking of which, we head to an info page And it's another one of those pages written by someone who signs their name in Cyrillic. It's long, and it's boring, and I won't waste my or your time with it it's all about Russia, and it's all very, like, the $100 column in Jeopardy. You know, this isn't even as deep as the usual, you know, Percy picked up such-and-such such volume of the encyclopedia levels of Invo dump. It's, it's even more shallow than that. From here, we rejoin Beast in the Shadow Room, and he is joined by Black Tom. The room somehow begins to display what's going on inside Beast's body. We see cells and vessels and whatnot. It's an artistic shorthand for being inside the body, I guess. Tom then produces a Wii avatar, just like he did during that awful Empire cash-in miniseries. The avatar climbs into McCoy's nostrils, so I'm guessing we're about to get like a, uh, there was an old woman who swallowed a fly sort of a thing here, where, you know, this is going to take care of the other one, and then maybe we'll have to send another thing in there, and then another thing. That could be a, uh, miniseries unto itself, though I probably shouldn't even put that out into the universe. From here, our scene shifts, and we meet the guy who's been writing all the boring Russian stuff for the past, like, year and a half. He refers to himself as Mikhail's humble chronicler. So I guess that's what we'll be calling him from now on. Now, we see in the foreground that he's been writing something about Pyotr Rasputin. And that's where we leave it. Now, just like with uh, the previous Excalibur issue, this one wraps up with the 8-page 9-11 strip by uh, Casada and Ramita Jr. Next time out, we've got an issue of Marauders to discuss, which, um... Well, I'm gonna have some points I'm gonna probably gonna to want to bring up during that, but uh, some of those points can apply to this X Force series as well. Here, it feels like, uh, and I'm not sure if this is simply because we kind of know how the sausage is being made. Uh, the editorial confusion and um, you know deck chair rearranging that's going on in the X line right now is fairly public knowledge. I'll, I'll hand it to Marvel. There being They're being a little cagey about it, as, you know, as is their, you know, want. But they're also being oddly transparent with uh, the fact that, well, the line, I mean, they consider the line to be healthy, I'm sure. But it's not going according to plan, or at least the initial vision for this era. Wherein I feel like a lot of these stories are changing on the fly, and a lot of things are being, I, I think it's a matter of pacing, you know, we've got certain uh, elements and concepts that are being explored in these books That kind of waver between being overstretched and, uh, and also underexplored You know, it's all really dependent on when these, when these story bits are hitting us I mean, let's uh, for a moment, let's go back to the start You know, uh, Hox Pox was just over, we were into Dawn of X And we didn't have a crossover on the horizon for a little while Right, At least six months And let's not forget that for the first few months uh, A lot of our books shipped twice a month So we were getting a lot of issues A lot of uh, room to kind of grow these different and disparate titles And kind of let them find their place in this new status quo So we were like laying a foundation And we talk about this on the show a lot Laying a foundation before you start building the house That's what they did early on. And while not all of it landed for me, I didn't enjoy all of it, I could at least respect it for the world-building aspects of it and the uh, willingness to tell a story, to build, to start to, you know, start snapping them Legos together so we actually have something to jump off from. Now it's different in that, uh, I mean, we do know about the tumult in the editorial uh, offices right now. We have... The head of X leaving. You know, the head of X leaving is a big deal here. And um, as I mentioned, Marvel is being oddly transparent about that. It seems to be different visions here. The rest of the creators wanted to keep going a certain direction. Hickman had his plan that was going to go another way. Well, maybe not exactly go another way, but it had a definitive, you know, there were beats. You know, we we heard from the start this was like a three-act thing here. And from what we know, or what we've heard anyway, the scuttlebutt, is that uh, that's where there was a little bit of a, I don't want to say a schism, but just not seeing eye to eye with the rest of the uh, creators involved, where they wanted to keep on the Krakoan thing, and maybe Hickman wanted to either move away from it, or evolve it, or do something with it. So we've got this tumult in editorial, and now we're in a position where, rather than letting these books tell their own stories... We're basically treading water between events, you know, I mean, Hellfire Gala to Inferno to Trial of Magneto. We're we're just filling time, and that's not always a bad thing. Unless, of course, you can see the seams, and I feel like right now those seams are really, really showing. Now, I feel like when you have a large line of books, like the X-Men line is, You have certain books that are going to be doing the A plot. You have certain books that are going to be doing the B plot. Then you're going to have the books that just support. And it's going to rotate. You know, you'll have New Mutants doing support, you know, just kind of playing up what's going on in other books while still putting on their own stories. And maybe New Mutants will move up to a B tier or an A tier or, you know, Lord forbid, actually take over as a main book for a couple months, the main plot of The Line. And, I mean, that applies for all the books. We saw Marauders take over briefly during the Hellfire Gala. That was where the Hellfire Gala kind of percolated, right? And that was the... It wasn't necessarily the big issue for the Hellfire Gala, but it was the kickoff issue. It was the one that, if you wanted to follow the story, you had to pick up that issue of Marauders, right? It was the... If I'm remembering right, it was the only one of our ongoings that actually was upcharged, you know, as a $5 book instead of a $4 book. It was very clearly... Labeled as the one that you needed to check out If you wanted to understand what was going to come afterwards Of course we've got X-Men being the flagship book That's been the more important book Sometimes, sometimes not Excalibur was the book we watched for the Exit 10 stuff That's where a lot of that stuff percolated But now we're kind of in a position where All the books are just treading water and buying time Nothing really stands out as being You know, the book that you must read And that... To me is kind of the problem here It's not a bad thing to have a water-treading month or two Or a, you know, a catch-up month or two Where you kind of just revisit the characters You kind of get into their heads here You don't need to move the plot anywhere But now I feel like we're in a position where all the books are doing that Not in the good way where we're actually building characters This reminds me, and this might be an odd comparison But uh, let's jump over to DC Who have like rebooted their universe several times over and in the uh, time that it takes for them to do so, a lot of their books, since continuity doesn't matter anymore and repercussions are kind of non-existent, they kind of just let the books be what they want to be. You know, as long as they don't rock the boat, as long as they don't make any sort of things that any any sort of points that couldn't be walked back. You know, I'm thinking about you know the interim issues of Superman and Action Comics in the lead up to the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths. It just felt like inventory stories being told and sold, right? Think about the lead-up to uh, the New 52, the Summer of Flashpoint, where all the books continued but told stories that just didn't matter. They were just there to mark time. They were just there to get us, I don't know, just through to the next step. And that's kind of how it feels with the X-Books here, especially since we know that a lot of the line is being canceled in December or ended in December. I don't want to say canceled. We don't know what the actual deal is behind the curtain yet, but... uh, we know that a lot of these books are coming to an end, and we do know that a new status quo of sorts is coming in January, so these stories, they don't really matter. They're basically loose ends that, uh, you know, they either forgot about or they just didn't find the time to fully explore. But, I mean, for as a for instance, let's look at this issue of X-Force. It's probably about time I talked a little bit about it, but uh, Mikhail took the sword a long time ago, and now we're finally getting to this. We've had Zeno involved in the X-Force business since, since Jump Street, since the first issue or the second issue, right? And here's the thing about Mikhail and Zeno, and I can only speak for myself here, neither concept is all that interesting, right? So you take that, you take the fact that I don't find this interesting in the first place. And then you just put it on the back burner and turn it down to a sim, you know, where you just forget about it. And maybe it comes through your mind every once in a while. It's like, oh, yeah, that sword never came back. Oh, yeah, yeah. Didn't they take a Quentin body? You know, you think about these things on occasion, but it doesn't make it any more interesting. So, I mean, and again, I can only speak for myself, but even if they'd struck when the iron was hot, this still wouldn't have been very exciting to me. So you take that and you add months and months and months of time and it really doesn't matter to me Rather than being a plot point or a threat It feels more like an inconvenience That Marvel needs to clear off the board To transition us into the, the next phase Of the X family of books You know, from January till whenever so yeah, this one was kind of just there for me, and and I again I don't think it was the fault of the book. I don't think it was the fault of the creators. I think this is really more of like a utilitarian thing where they need to they need to get these stories done before we move on comfortably into the next phase. So not much more to say. I thought the art here was very good. I I don't think I've ever seen Kokolo's uh, work before, but this was uh, really good stuff. And I will say that uh, the little meta commentary about Beast was. Um, Equal parts annoying and amusing, I guess But, uh, I think that's all I have to say about it Let's, uh, let's hop into the mailbag here before my face At least the left side of it uh, implodes into, uh, the other side here Because, uh Talking with a popped crown is not comfortable, and I I hope that uh, this episode doesn't sound any worse than they usually do. (laughs) If if so, I apologize and I thank you sincerely for bearing with me. Now let's hop into the mailbag here. We got a letter from Damien talking about Hellions number 12. This is, of course, part of the Hellfire Gala. Damien says, What a fantastic issue. Hands down, the best part of the Hellfire Gala, and I would say my favorite issue of Hellions so far. Everything seems to be coming to a head. I can understand why you were worried that Hellions was going to be cancelled, and from my future point of view, I know you were right. I hope that Maddie is involved in Inferno, and your idea of her being resurrected by Sinister would really work. I remain slightly worried that Inferno will primarily feature horticulture, because everything else does. Well, I haven't read it yet, so, I mean, horticulture might be there, huh? Boy, I hope not. Uh, um, Now, the, uh, the episode that Damien's talking about came before... The axes started to fall on our line here, so we didn't know, necessarily, that things were going to be cancelled, or things were coming to an end. But I mentioned during that Hellions discussion that it felt like we were headed toward an ending here, especially with uh, Inferno on the Horizon, and how everything is sort of kind of falling into place. Which, I mean, at the end of the day, yes, it sucks that we're losing Hellions, at least in the current form that it's in, but... I mean, the way that it's been built to this climax, to this ending, is, at least in this editorial climate, is uh, near perfect, right? I mean, yes, it sucks that we're losing it, but it looks like we're actually going to get the story that was meant to be told in this book, which, I mean, that's a really good thing. Uh, Damien continues, And yes, Magneto does look ridiculous, but is it any more garish than the costume he was wearing circa Uncanny 200? Fuchsia with a giant M is just a short walk to Pimp Nito. Anyway, until Magneto starts saying, Who's your daddy to everyone he meets? Make mine Hellions and X-Lapsed. Well, thank you. Thank you so much there. And, uh, yeah, the giant them costume was not one of the, not one of the best. <laughs> it really, really wasn't. And as for Magneto saying, Who's your daddy to everybody? I don't see that happening either, because he's probably scared that he's going to find out he has several dozen other children. And now I was going to include uh, Evan's email where he goes through his rankings for the entire Hellfire Gala arc, but uh, my mouth hurts, <laughs> and I, uh, I don't want to just rush through it. So I want to uh, give that some uh, dedicated time and also you know, be able to discuss it without worrying about sucking wind into the uh, place where that crown popped. So um, we'll do that next time, but I do... Not want to leave out the shout outs today. Uh, these are the folks who helped to raise the profile and signal boost the program uh, on social media. I would like to thank on Twitter Walt Neeland, Jeremiah, Chris Bailey, Dave Schultz, Joe Crawford, The Long Box Crusade, Mark Jagger, Jesse DeYoung, and Jason Colby. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Jeremiah, Joe Crawford, Andrew Franklin, Chris Bailey, Pat Sampson, Walt Neeland, and Billy D. Thank you all so much for helping to spread the word and uh... Just get the word out there that this show exists. Hopefully, with all your help, uh, we'll be able to reach some more ears and uh, minds and hearts sometime in the near future, so thank you so much. And while I'm thanking folks, I'd like to thank the wonderful supporters on Patreon. Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse DeYoung, Damian, Peter McPherson, and Mark Jagger. You're all the best, and your support really does mean the world to me, so thank you so much for that. Now, if there's anyone out there who would like to get a hold of me, you could do so very easily. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You could shoot me an email over to History at gmail.com. You can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. You can find blog posts and show notes over at Chris's On com. You could join us on Facebook. The group is 90s X-Men. Uh, you can hear the entire archives of the Chris and Reggie channel at chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and you can find that on just about every application and device that you have in your pocket In at this very moment, I suppose. Finally, there, of course, is the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash There's a lot of exclusive content and uh, behind-the-scenes stuff over there, if you're interested in that. Please consider giving it a try. Uh, you won't be billed until the first of the month, so uh, you'll get several weeks without having to pay a single cent. Just a... Uh, Give it a try. If you dig it, stick around. If not, hey, no harm, no foul. But that's going to do it for us today. A little bit of a shorter one today, so uh, you get to get on with the rest of your day a little bit quicker. I apologize for not breaking the 30-minute mark today, but I'm, uh, I'm working hurt today. And again, I hope this episode didn't sound any worse than it usually does. If it did, you have my sincerest apologies and my most heartfelt thanks for sticking around. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya!